Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online with you at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky. Brian Haydad and Brian Scott Rippey, glad to have you along on this Tuesday. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing and refinancing land for over a century. That's over 100 years. So whether it's a dream house that you're building in the country, a recreational piece of property, or you've got uh, financial needs as a farmer, let the good folks at Mississippi uh, Land Bank work with you to uh, get the desired results for you. MSLandBank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Tell you right out of the gate today, the C Spire text line is wide open for you, 601 879 4395-601-879-4395. Guys, let's start today with Michael Borky playing the role of Nostradamus. If we uh, actually went back and uh, uh, pulled the audio from yesterday, we were talking about Monday Night Football, and he didn't have it 100% right, but the idea was right. Borky, you said, uh, yeah, Chiefs going to be down five with the ball late in the ball game, driving down Phillip Rivers, throw an interception, and they won't win the game. 61 losses in Phillip Rivers' career have come by a touchdown or less. Not exactly Captain Clutch and, um, well, a loss last night for the Chargers in Mexico City. You just, that's his brand at this point, is being down one score late with the ball. And, I mean, even getting his team down the field a little bit and then in a miraculous way, not sealing the deal. I mean, his career's not over, but the growing sentiment from him and, and the Chargers is maybe they should move on from him and go draft a quarterback or something like that. And it's kind of a first-take debate, but still, I just wonder how Phillip Rivers is going to be looked at once he is done. Because, like, Eli be Manning, Famer. you think so? Yeah. He just doesn't have the really- rings, which doesn't matter. He doesn't have the rings, but the numbers and the longevity are there, and I think he will get voted in. I don't necessarily think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, and if you said Phillip Rivers or Eli Manning, which should go in first, I would say to you Eli Manning. He just doesn't have clutch wins. He doesn't have come-from-behind wins. He doesn't have playoff wins. I heard uh, I was listening to ESPN Radio late last night, had to run back to the office to do a couple of things, and... um, Freddie Coleman and Ian Fitzsimmons were talking about uh, Phillip Rivers that, uh, oh, who were the two quarterbacks? It was Tim Tebow and, oh, some other semi-obscure guy have more appearances in the AFC Conference Finals in their careers 
than Phillip Rivers does. And he's been at it for 15 years with good players around him for a lot of the time. Not a good look. Not a good look. Speaking of not good looks, the field conditions last night, did you watch any of it? Yeah. A disaster again. It's almost like Estadio Azteca is not really good enough for the NFL. And, hey, Dad, we heard all this stuff about how things were different. They they skipped on a Rihanna concert or a Beyonce concert or a Shakira concert or whatever it was, and they stayed off of it, didn't play soccer matches on it. It looked better than it did the last time they tried to play an NFL game. But the last time they tried to play an NFL game in Mexico City, they canceled it. It was that bad. There has to be sort of a minimum standard, right? There just has to be, and and if – the stadium can't meet that, and it seems pretty obvious at this point that they can't. Maybe, you know, it's, it, I understand you want to build that brand down there, and, and I get that, but not at the risk of player safety. Rippy, I know you're a doctor. I don't know if you're a grass doctor or not, but uh, apparently there was some sort of rating that they gave the field when they checked it before the game started last night, and it got an A rating. I don't know if they just like looked at it from an aerial shot or if somebody actually walked around on it. I, I just can't believe that the NFL I, – I understand they want to get into different markets, and I understand that Mexico and Mexico City are a big market for them, but at some point you got to talk about player safety. You, you can't play on fields that are not your normal stadiums where the field conditions give you a better chance of having players get hurt. Yeah, and they've canceled games for stuff like this, like the Hall of Fame game and the game last year. So, I mean, it wasn't great, but, like, obviously it was at a playable condition. Like, I didn't really notice it that much. Like, it, it wasn't great. Like, you had the kicker mishap, you had a couple guys slip, but it wasn't like they were playing, like, I don't know, like trying to avoid landmines and holes and stuff. Like, it just seemed like the grass wasn't grown in right. I don't, I'm not going to try to pretend to know exactly what was wrong, but it did seem like the like whatever the turf quality was was a little bit i don't know if it was like worse but it almost seemed newer because it came up so easily i don't know what it was yeah i I don't know when when they have to resod fields and you're worrying about whether or not it's grown in and whether or not it's going to stay in place i mean it's not like every step they were taking you had chunks of turf fall coming up uh but if you did watch the game you certainly saw the chunks and the divots that they had to replace uh as the game went along they did it at halftime they had they had an entire crew out there fixing divots at halftime it's like the scene from Pretty Woman. Oh, I don't know. Hey, Dad, you remember that, don't you? Nobody else never is going to get the Pretty Woman reference. No, nope, never seen it. Are you serious? I am I am dead serious, yeah. Is that with Julia Roberts? Yes, Julia Roberts and Richard Gere. The uh, you know the most famous scene in the movie is when she go ba- goes back to the boutique. She's the, the prostitute turned civilized lady and she tried to go shopping in the uh in the the boutiques on rodeo drive and they wouldn't sell to her and uh she goes back and gets taken care of and goes back in with all of her bags and she says to the ladies in the boutique who are all uber snooty she goes hey remember me and they kind of look at her funny she goes big mistake huge huge anyway um i digress i can't believe none of you rippy have you seen pretty woman no really Okay. I mean, I'm not the guy to cast dispersions for not having seen movies when they're, the list is long and distinguished of uh, movies that I've not seen and cultural references that I miss. I guess I thought that was just one that everybody had seen. 
at uh, at some point along the way. Hey, I'm curious about this from that game last night. Chiefs win it 24-17 to get to 7-4. and It uh, pretty much ends the Chargers' chances of getting to the playoff. Chiefs are still in good shape. Patrick Mahomes, 19 of 32, 182 yards, touchdown and a pick. He ran it five times for 59 yards in the game. He looked really healthy. I know the the, the passing numbers were not eye-popping, but I thought he moved really, really well in that game. That, that's that got to be a good sign for the Chiefs going forward, right? You would, you think, would think so. so. I, mean, I, don't, I don't see how it could be a bad sign to have your but, franchise quarterback playing at a high level. He wasn't ever the problem, though. It's everything else around him. The offensive line's bad, and the defense is not bad. Although the defense played okay last night, considering Phillip Rivers was... Uh, I, I don't know if he was throwing with his dominant hand, but he'd have been better off with the other one. <laughs> Four interceptions in the game for Phillip Rivers. He did throw for 353 yards and a uh, touchdown. Melvin Gordon had 14 carries for 69 yards in the game. I, I think the stat that I read earlier today was that there was only one occasion in the entire game where the Chargers actually blitzed Patrick Mahomes. When, when he does such a good job recognizing when the blitz is coming, being able to move in the pocket, being able to hurt you with the, your feet, is that the best game plan for defending Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes going forward is don't give up the extra defender because he's got a good chance to elude the rush and then make a big play? That's that's probably the case for a lot of, of quarterbacks, to be totally honest. that you know, And it is a pick-your-poison kind of thing. Are you going to give them time and, and they, they take advantage of that, or are you going to give up a guy in coverage and they spot that early? So you know, that's why elite quarterbacks run the NFL is because they put defenses to those kinds of tests. Yeah. Uh, we got a bunch to get to this afternoon. Bill Bander uh, – Bill- uh, try that again. Bill Bender from Sporting News is going to join us on the Farm Bureau phone line a little bit later this afternoon. We're also going to talk with Luke Johnson, uh, co-host of the Eagle Hour on Super Talk Mississippi and Super Talk Hattiesburg. He'll join us on the Farm Bureau phone line about 20 minutes from right now. We'll talk about Southern Miss and their chances to potentially get to the Conference USA Championship game. We've got a bunch of basketball coming up uh, tonight. Mississippi State's women's team put up 7,426 points in their win last night that uh, I don't think it was a record, but it was close to a record. Um, i got to tell you about this this uh, quick interaction I had in the airport this morning. So I'm in Charleston, South Carolina. I'm doing a, a basketball tournament up here for uh, uh, later this week for ESPN, the, the Charleston Classic. And I was at the airport. I had a 7.30 flight this morning, so this was about, I don't know, 6.45, 7 o'clock. Before I boarded the plane, I was walking to the restroom, and a guy in a Mississippi State shirt goes, Richard Cross? And I was like, yeah. And we chatted for a second. He said he listens to the show. He's from Senatobia. And he goes, man, I'm worried about the Egg Bowl. He's like, that Plumley kid is something special. I said, well, he's a pretty good player. We'll, we'll be interested to see how it shakes out. And hey, Dad, he then goes, but you know what? If Ole Miss could hang 75 on Mississippi State and that would lead to a coaching change, I would be all for it. <laughs> and I thought. It's 2008 all over again. Wow. That's where we are. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you.
Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. I didn't want to just like leave that comment hanging out there. I didn't realize we were so close to a break a second ago. But, hey, Dad, does that sentiment that I mentioned a second ago, the guy that I bumped into at the airport this morning, uh, says, yeah, not really looking forward to the Egg Bowl, kind of worry about that one, but then follows it up with, but I'd be okay with Ole Miss hammering Mississippi State if it led to a coaching change. How prevalent is that sentiment among Mississippi State fans right now? I've seen it a few times on message boards and on social media for sure that 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 2008 Egg Bowl feeling that you know if you go back to that game and I went I went there as a fan and as soon as I think you know Ole Miss was up 14 nothing maybe in the first I don't know three four seconds of that game uh, when you knew it wasn't going to happen you, you just turned into okay make it as bad as you can so when the decision has to be made and that's what happened I think I've I've said it many times I think you go back to 08. If 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 somehow Ole Miss wins that game, I don't know, twenty one to fourteen, I think Sylvester Croom comes back in two thousand nine. But Ole Miss made it so embarrassing that he didn't have any choice but to move on. Um, and in this situation, where uh, you know an Egg Bowl loss would be the end of your bowl streak, um, and especially an embarrassing loss, I mean, people are gonna people are gonna be mad. They're gonna be angry, and and you know some of those people donate enough money to make things happen. So. That 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 attitude is certainly out there. there I think the, I think the overwhelming attitude is like to win, but if we're going to lose, let's let's make it a bad one. <laughs> I, I know you guys talked some about it on the Thunder and Lightning podcast today. You can uh, download that on uh, where, wherever you get your podcast. You can go to supertalk.fm and listen to it on demand uh, as well. Uh, Brian Haydad and Joel T. Coleman. Um, isn't the better plan, though, if you're a Mississippi State fan, hey, let's go get the win against Abilene Christian, get to five, let's go beat Mississippi, or go beat Ole Miss in the Egg Bowl, get to six, get to a bowl game, hopefully win that, finish off what was, yes, in a lot of ways a disappointing season with seven wins, and get ready for 2020? Is that not the better plan? Well, that's, 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 that's what uh, the Mississippi State administration and, and such would tell you is the better plan. The, the the question is this, and and the sort of this, let's let's go back a little bit to 2017. You know, there's a lot of Ole Miss fans that don't like Matt Luke and would like to see him go. And it, you ask yourself the question, you know, because the, basically he won the Egg Bowl, so he got the job. And if if you don't like Matt Luke and you don't think he's a good coach, would you have been better off losing the Egg Bowl? Sometimes you you lose a battle to win the war would be to, a way to look at that. You know, and in terms of if if. If you believe Joe Moorhead is not the right guy for the job, then what does beating a four and seven Ole Miss team prove? Nothing. He's probably still not the right guy for the job. So if, if that's what you believe, you know what's best for the university is to move on from Joe Moorhead. That's that's the way you're going to look at it. And it's it's a painful pill to swallow. No, but no no state fan wants to lose that game. But if if you're going to lose it. You 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 hope that you have the, the 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 result that you want at the end of it. What's going to hurt for MSU fans, and what I believe, is that if State does lose that game, I don't believe they're moving on from Joe Moorhead. So that would be the uh, the, the real slap in the face. Rippy, we've only obviously still got nine ga- uh, days nine days until this game actually happens. But what do you think the sentiment of Ole Miss fans is going into this game? B- because they largely know or overwhelmingly know that nothing is changing 
in terms of leadership with the program go win the game, period? Yeah, I mean, I guess that would be exactly it. I mean, everything's kind of in a holding pattern until next year. You know pretty much exactly what's going to be coming back next year. I guess there could be some attrition on the assistant coaching staff. But, yeah, I mean, just I guess if you're an Ole Miss person, you would say, why would you not want to win the game? I, I, I don't really know. I mean, that's probably about as simple as that. And, and Morky, again, with the caveat that it's still nine days away, I, I sense a little more confidence among Ole Miss fans, which is interesting because if you had asked that question a couple of weeks ago prior to the LSU game, I'm not sure that you would have had that because you were coming off of, you know, kind of a putrid offensive performance when the defense had been okay. Um, but it's like Ole Miss kind of looks at what Mississippi State has been defensively this year. I say Ole Miss. I'm talking about Ole Miss fans. And, I mean, Rippy, you, you mentioned this, I'll give you credit, two or three weeks ago that you think the narrative or part of the narrative is, okay, Ole Miss maybe runs for a bunch of yards and you get a lot of talk in the offseason about building based on the results of that game. I guess there's something to that, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, I guess it kind of happened a game early with Plumlee scoring four touchdowns and running for 212 on LSU, but I mean, if you figure he does that in a win, that'll be a key selling point in the offseason that, hey, look, we're close right there in all these games. I guess let him throw, develop throwing the ball a bit, and this is what we got next year. It would be the, I would imagine the selling point going into the off season. We spent a few weeks ago talking about how they need something tangible and something that they can sell. And look, attendance was the worst it's been at Ole Miss in 18 years. Part of that is due to the fact that in all of sports, NBA, NFL, even um, attendance numbers are down. Fewer people are going to games than ever really but it's also an element of a fan base that's kind of checked out you're not going to win everybody back with an egg bowl win but it's at least something that you can touch and the the word sell I think is important for Ole Miss beyond just winning games on the field but you can go into the offseason now in a season that has been filled with close but that's it just close and it only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades so you you can only sell close so much, and people aren't buying it. But if you win the Egg Bowl and Plumlee has another big day, you can put that kid on every material you send to all your fan base, and you can go around during that road trip and all that stuff and talk about, hey, look, we were in some games last year, couldn't get it done, but look at how we closed, and look at what's coming back, and all of that stuff. And you can have a uniting message paired with, uh, a new leader in the athletic department that can be something tangible that people buy because just right now they of, don't have that just a matter of people buy it though because at the end of the day you beat if you if Ole Miss were to win the game you beat a five-win state team that's had all right. kinds of struggles and that's why yeah. I, I said uh it won't bring everybody back yeah no I, I'm not disagreeing it's just I think that would be kind of a matter of like I I don't know how much people would actually like buy that message as opposed to actual results next year because, I mean, again, I don't know if there's a rivalry in the country that places more just irrational emotional capital on the outcome of one game, but still at the same time, I think the body of the work of the season, people will probably still be kind of wait and see. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that or not. It's just that the emotional capital that is placed on the outcome of Ohio State-Michigan, that's placed on the outcome of Alabama-Auburn, 
Florida, Florida State, usually is also accompanied by teams that are in the mix for something beyond just getting to a low-level bowl game. You so, think if a five-win Michigan interim head coach beat Ohio State with a backup quarterback, he'd get the uh, head gig? I mean, when you ask that question in a vacuum, the answer is probably no. The the dynamics to that, even look, I mean, that is why the the job was given. But the athletic director was not going to hire him. It took a lame duck chancellor who was trying to gain capital with local power players by hiring the local guy. That's what happened. The athletic director was going a different direction. Yeah, that's fair, but I mean, it still does kind of speak to like how much people put into it. Now you're on you're on to something there. All right, so let, let's flip the coin for a second. Hey, Dad, it, it, th- there's no question that a win for Ole Miss against Mississippi State in the Egg Bowl leads to the over the top selling of John Rice Plumley throughout the entire offseason leading into 2020. What's Mississippi State selling right now? Well, that's a good question. A friend of mine made a, a good point. He said this Egg Bowl might be worth about 10,000 season tickets to Mississippi State. You win it, you go to the bowl game, and you're still, you know, you can sell that. You can, hey, they're still going to bowls, you know, and this was a down year, but next year's going to be better. How? I don't know, you know, but next year's going to be better, sure. You lose this game, who is buying a season ticket to Mississippi State football next year with that schedule? I mean, it's, it's, it's brutal. So what are they selling for next year? I don't know. If Kylan Hill comes back, maybe that maybe he's he's definitely the face of the program at that point. And Schrader, of course, who you've seen enough of this year to think he's going yeah. to be good. Do you think Kylan Hill comes back? I would say it's it's leaning towards no, because you're a running back. You've only got so many carries in the system. Why 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 do another two hundred and fifty for free? Well the, the, there's a shelf life, certainly on running backs. Certain mm-hmm. number of miles you can put on the tires. And he looks like he's happy in this offense. He, he was underutilized criminally a year ago. He's gotten more yeah. carries this year, but I just don't know if he – I don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait and see where that goes. Luke Johnson joins us next. We'll talk some Southern Miss on the Farm Bureau phone line with you. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Back in the Renaissance Bank studio. I love it. On Super Talk Mississippi. That's the website from Farm Bureau that is the easiest way for you to get a quick quote to see how you might be able to save money. You go to that website, faverates.com, type in your zip code, and it gives you a chance to get a quote on auto insurance or property insurance, or you can bundle the two coverages and save. And the cool thing with uh, Mississippi Farm Bureau is you're dealing with people locally, people that you know in your community that you see at the ballpark, that you go to church with, that you go to ball games with, that uh, maybe you bump into at the grocery store. So it's not some stranger. It's not somebody that's just on the other end of a phone taking down your information. That's why we call them the home team. So check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line right now. Check in with Luke Johnson, host of the Eagle Hour on Super Talk Hattiesburg, Super Talk Laurel, and available online 
at supertalk.fm. Well, Luke, the conversation has changed around this Southern Miss team a little bit. Not only did they take care of business in San Antonio, in the Alamo Dome on Saturday, but that was on the heels of Louisiana Tech losing at Marshall on Friday night, and now you've got a tie with the tiebreaker still going to Louisiana Tech, the top of the Western Division standings. Yeah, it was exciting news um, late Friday night. Just got done with the high school game and saw that score. And I texted you Friday. Uh, the big news that broke Friday was Jamar Smith. He's, he's a senior quarterback for Louisiana Tech, actually from Meridian, Mississippi. He was suspended for that game, and they go to UAB this week on the road, and he's suspended as well as a, uh, a receiver, uh, junior receiver, Hardy. They're both suspended, so two big road games, um, and Golden Eagle fans are – uh, we'll be cheering for UAB this week uh, because if Southern Miss wins out, Louisiana Tech drops one more. Eagles are the, the champions of the West. What's the likelihood of that happening? I think it's really, really a, a good chance um, simply because I, I think going into Friday, they had thrown uh, 340 passes all year and 310 were thrown by Smith. So there, there isn't much depth or game experience behind uh, behind Jamar Smith for, for Louisiana Tech. And, um, of course, whoever they throw out this week, I think they, they played a redshirt freshman Friday. Um, you know, UAB uh, has what, what Southern uh, Miss was able to do. Uh, you think with UAB's front seven creating some confusion and blitz packages and getting to the quarterback, they can cause uh, the redshirt freshman to make more mistakes. And uh, maybe UAB uh, could, could pull out one and, and give the Eagles a front-running chance. But the Eagles this week, Western Kentucky's been a team, when they've been hot, they've been hot. Um, Ty Story comes over a, a transfer last year from Arkansas. He started nine games right. for the Razorbacks last year. Uh, and, and the Hilltoppers have two weeks to prepare for Southern Miss. They were off this past weekend. Good thing is it will be in the rock, um, but Golden Eagles got to take care of it because Western Kentucky's not a pushover by any means. They'll be the best team that Southern Miss has played uh, since the Louisiana Tech game. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously the second part of this equation, and we've not seen Western Kentucky since uh, since their win against Arkansas in, uh, in Fayetteville a couple of weeks ago. But, you know, we can talk all we want about, okay, well, Louisiana Tech's got to do this and you need some help from UAB here. But it's not a pushover final two finishing games for Southern Miss, not just Western Kentucky this week, but also FAU. And that's kind of a resurgent FAU team that's been really good since a couple of early season losses against uh, against Power 5 teams. So there's a lot of work to be done on the Golden Eagles side of things over these final two weeks, regardless of what happens around them. Yeah, the first half against UTSA this past Saturday, um, if you know if Western Kentucky wants to, to look how to exploit the Eagles, Narcisse, uh, the quarterback for the Roadrunners who played at Mississippi Gulf Coast last year, big kid, he threw for over 300 yards. And uh, Western Kentucky, um, they have great offensive game plans. Coach, uh, Coach Hilton um, was out at Southern Cal for a few years. Uh, they're going to attack the Eagles through the air, but they have a running back who's, who's close, uh, Walker. He's rushed for almost 1,000 yards. Um, so the Golden Eagles got to tighten down on defense. They did come up with some big stops. And I think going into this game, particularly a name that really hasn't come up too much because you've taken him for granted, freshman Andrew Stein is the kicker. He's a true freshman. Yeah. He's 16 and 19 on the year. Um, and he could be a name um, that, that could really make a difference this coming Saturday. Yeah, and just as an aside, if that name stands out to you, Lowell Narcisse, a second ago, that uh, 
that Luke mentioned, he's the guy that started out at LSU. He was kind of part of a crowded quarterback room with Miles Brennan there, uh, obviously before Joe uh, Burrow came in, transferred out, went the junior college route, and now playing and playing pretty well at uh, at UTSA. Um, so the kicking game has been good. Defense has been pretty good the last couple of weeks. Is there an area of concern for you offensively for Southern Miss? And it could be because of just the, the opponents, but the running game has, has just really exploded. You look at Saturday, yeah, what uh, DeMichael Harris did, 16 carries, 121 yards. He and Quez Watkins really showed out. Quez had over 130 yards passing. And it was just the speed of both of those guys. Um, Eagles rush uh, for, I think, right at 200 yards, which was one of their best performances of the year. Um, Alamo Dome, we talked about it last week, is a difficult place to play. So the Eagles are peaking offensively um, at the right time. Abraham did throw an interception Saturday, but he's still completing about 70% of his passes. Uh, right now he's, he's tops in Conference USA. Quez Watkins is tops in Conference USA, almost 1,000 yards. So they're peaking at the right time. They're, 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 what I was happy to see Saturday was uh, they, they didn't play that well in the first half. It was more of a stalemate, but they were able to pull away as they should have in the second half. Uh, against UTSA, so you feel like um, at the end of the year where you're supposed to be playing your best football, Eagles are looking more and more like they are. Luke Johnson on your radio on the Farm Bureau phone line. Again, check out favorites.com and go with the home team. I know you haven't been able to, to keep yourself completely away from Pete Taylor Park. They've got that uh, that installation process going on. How's it looking? It's looking pretty good. You know, we're in, I think, week four of a 10-week project, and um, you're looking at an outfield that hadn't been redone since 1993. <laughs> so it, mm. when, when they started moving stuff around, um, it, it's pretty amazing what all has been moved around. You know, you hear some gripes from some traditionalists and people that get to the ballpark three hours early and enjoy watching the field being taken care of. But, man, Scott Barry, there was never a doubt in this one that this is the direction the baseball uh, program needed to go. And you look at everything that that, that type of surface brings, um, not just on game days, but, but during the season. Uh, you're able to host tournaments off-season. You're able to get more people on your campus. But in a lot of ways, um, you know, it, it, it can be a recruiting tool even uh, when you're not officially recruiting. Did you figure out a way to go get some of that grass and resod your yard? Um, I've, I actually know a few people that, that <laughs> got some pieces and, uh, and, and have, have friends have, – pieces of it sitting uh, in at their businesses and at their houses so uh, props to them for doing that it looks pretty cool there you go maybe a little nostalgia there if uh, if you're sad to see the grass go hey on the hoops front big game tonight Ames Iowa for a, uh, a matchup with Iowa State uh, Southern Miss one and two on the year they got that season opening win against Delta State since then dropped a six-point game to South Alabama a three-point game to North Florida down in Jacksonville this certainly is the biggest test they've had so far this year it is, and it's a reverse of last year. Their strength has been down low. Um, Jack Donmey's averaging 19 points a game. Leonard Harper Baker's averaging a double-double, 10 points, 10 rebounds. Um, really, the guy that, that you thought would, would come out the season scorching hot, Ladavius Drain, he's, he's had a hard time. Um, he averaged close right at 50% from, from beyond the arc last year, only shooting at about 24% at this point in the season. So last year, um, the backcourt was stronger. This year, down low, stronger. Uh, Drain will find his stroke. It's just about him being a starter every day. He was the six-man uh, award winner last year. So when he starts getting uh, deep behind the arc, uh, Golden Eagles can make a little run. I, I think it's pretty safe to say they're not going to finish last in conference as they were picked to preseason. 
But we got to yeah. see a little more out of the shooters, but the, the big men are holding their own. But it will be a big test, and you look at you're, you're playing three top 25 opponents really in the next week when they go off to Atlantis. Yeah, so Southern Miss at Iowa State tonight. They're back home on Sunday for a matchup with uh, William Carey and uh, then Gonzaga in uh, round one of that battle for Atlantis tournament down in the Bahamas. And last thing, get some women's hoops action tonight in Hattiesburg with uh, Southern Miss hosting Ole Miss at uh, at seven. Uh, sorry, at six o'clock at Reed Green. Should be fun. It's a, it's a heavy senior class for the Golden Eagles. Respect Lee Park, one of the greatest names in, in women's college basketball. Chante Hale, senior point guard. Um, they, they just needed to, to, to take care of business. They'll usually have one bad quarter that really hurts them down the stretch. So uh, Joy Lee McNellis uh, trying to, to get them to play consistent. I should mention this. Um, out of St. Aloysius, uh, senior lineman for the Golden Eagles, Drake Dorbeck, uh, has won the Energy Kent Hole Trophy, which is uh, the state's top offensive lineman in college football. He'll be awarded that at the Connerly presentation, but congratulations to Drake, uh, Drake Dorbeck of, of Southern Miss for winning that award. Fantastic. I am now officially, uh, I am now officially the second most famous left tackle in St. Aloysius history. Drake has now surpassed me. He got you. Six, six, three twenty. He's a big man. Yes, he is. Congrats to him. You're not quite. You're not quite six six, are you, Ed? I'm not quite six six. Unfortunately, I'm closer to that second number. So. Ah! You might have left that in the rearview mirror, too. Yeah. Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi. Thanks, Luke. We'll talk to you later in the week. Hi, guys. Thanks. Luke Johnson from the Eagle Hour, Super Talk Hattiesburg, Super Talk Laurel, and available online at supertalk.fm. Bunch of basketball coming up tonight. Talk about that next. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. He's got a split finger wrap and his rope pulled away too tight. He's got a lunatic smile cause he's really drunk deep tonight He's got a fever, 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 fever Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Tuesday afternoon. Glad to have you along. Got the whole crew, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. We've got hoops tonight. Five SEC teams are in action, in addition to Southern Miss being in Ames, Iowa, to take on Iowa State. Um, before we get into the matchup tonight, Rippy, news out that Blake Henson has returned to practice for Ole Miss. Uh, that's certainly good news. He was a freshman that was a big contributor a year ago, and uh, never mind the production on the, the court just yet. I mean, just the fact that he's gone from really scary situation, not knowing exactly what his future was going to look like in basketball period, um, uh, to back to full contact and able to kind of get into the flow, and that's got to be uh, a bit of a relief for him. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is something they've anticipated for the last month or so, getting him back in the next week, and definitely, definitely good for the depth and probably makes the rotation a little bit not set in stone, but easier to figure out. Once he is back and, and fully part of the rotation, what does it look like? From where do his minutes come based on what we've seen so far this year? I mean, probably, what he, I guess, like predominantly at the three and the four, just like any other moment in time, like last year. And then I guess there's some lineups where they'd play him at the four and uh, Buffin at the five. But I mean, he's a, he's, a starter if and 
that would be where his minutes came from. I mean, I don't think it changes. No, no, no. I'm, I'm with you. I guess I, I guess what I'm asking is who probably loses minutes has been getting them early in the season when he comes back. I mean, if I'm, he picks up 25 minutes a game, where do those come from? I guess it'll be easier to tell when he gets back in the lineup. That it depends on how much they try to go small. But like I, as far as who he's directly taking them away from, I am not sure until they get everybody until he's back on the court and kind of seeing what Kermit Davis tries to do with it. Yeah, uh, it will be interesting to see. There was so much conversation during the the off season about Luis Rodriguez and his growth as a player, and he's coming off his best game. I mean, you know that Tyree's going to get his minutes. You know that Schuler's going to get his minutes. Obviously, K.J. Buffin has been so good early in the season, and the combination of Hadim C. and um, I guess Sammy Hunter in the five, maybe you can move some things around there, but it, it, it seems like probably Luis Rodriguez is, I, I don't know, I guess this is a good problem for Kermit Davis to have, and as you grow a roster and you get more talented players, that's one of the things that you have to figure out, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it's November, you're still trying to figure out the rotation, but again, it'll be a heck of a lot easier to see when he's actually back on the court. Yeah. Ole Miss is hosting Seattle tonight, and after this game, things get uh, a little more difficult as the Rebels will go to Memphis on Saturday for a noon tip-off against the Memphis Tigers. We've mentioned it several times. If you're planning to watch that game, you'll have to do it somewhere that is streaming because it's only going to be available on ESPN3. It's not like you can just flip on your television and watch that if you don't have some sort of a streaming service. Uh, and then Ole Miss heads to uh, Brooklyn for the uh, the tournament at uh, Barclays Center. In addition to Ole Miss and Seattle, Rebels, by the way, 17.5-point favorite in that game tonight. Furman is in Tuscaloosa to take on Alabama. And, Borky, you say look out, Crimson Tide. Yeah, in their last 22 non-conference games, Furman is 20-2, and and those two losses both came on the road at ranked Power 5 teams. And they beat Villanova on the road last year. Team that probably should have made the tournament, too. So there's a reason it's a three-point line. Yeah. Well, Furman's pretty good, and Alabama has not been so far uh, this year. Uh, South Carolina's at home against Boston. They're a 15-point favorite. LSU... Uh, playing UMBC, uh, LSU, big favorite in that game, 17.5-point favorite. Was it last year or two years ago where UMBC made some no- noise in the tournament? That was last year, was it? No. It was two years was two ago. two years ago against Virginia. Right. They are the only 16 seed to ever knock off a number one seed in the first round of the tournament. Arkansas also is at home. They are a uh, a 23-point favorite. I know I've only got a minute here. Have you guys seen anything outside of Ole Miss and Mississippi State that has made you stop and pause in terms of the SEC so far this year? Florida. Florida dropping two games early has been surprising to me. One of those was uh, to UConn, and the other one was a home game to to Florida State. Um, Mm -hmm. And and nearly dropped one to Towson in there, too. Yeah, had a six-point win against Towson. I'll actually see them uh, in this tournament here in uh, in Charleston this weekend. So I'm anxious to uh, see if we can learn a little bit more about the uh, Florida Gators. Obviously, Kentucky's lost to uh, Evansville. Kentucky dealing with some injuries right now. Is there anybody that is better than maybe you thought they would be so far? Auburn. They are raining threes still. Yeah. Rippy's the one that mentioned uh, Samir Dowdy a couple of uh, a couple of weeks ago when we were kind of talking about that uh, roster. He seems to have taken a pretty big step.
forward going into uh, year number two. All right, more coming up with you. One hour in the books, 4 o'clock hour next. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Just as I can't wait until the weekend for college football. There's a little action coming your way tonight. Two games on the docket. ESPN 2 at 6.30 Central Time. Eastern Michigan at Northern Illinois at Husky Stadium in DeKalb, Illinois. NIU is a four-point favorite. And Ohio is at Bowling Green, Doit Perry Stadium. In Bowling Green, Ohio. How about this? Ohio is four and six on the year. Bowling Green is three and seven on the year, and Ohio is a twenty-one point road favorite. Are there trends that we need to know about uh, in terms of Tuesday night Maction games with home underdogs? If you're betting on Maction. You might want to call one of those hotline numbers. <laughs> I don't know. If you're not into college basketball, you're looking for a little action on a Tuesday night, that may be the way to go. You know, I only ask that because, like, forever, the home underdog on Thursday nights when you had SEC games, I mean, that that was like a money play. I didn't know if the same thing existed in the MAC or not. Hey, Dad, is that in your wheelhouse? Or is that a rippy thing? <laughs> Might be more of a rippy thing there, to be totally honest. Uh, you also have uh, the revealing of round three of the college football playoff poll. Uh, last week, LSU slid into the number one spot. Will they stay there? We will uh, We'll wait and see. We'll get that coming up a little bit later this evening. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They have been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. If you're looking to build a dream house in the country or maybe buy a piece of recreational property, give them a call. Find a branch location near you. You can get those on the website as well. And just talk to them about your needs. Maybe if you're even looking for property, reach out and see if uh, they're aware of anything that you might be able to find. MSLandBank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. All right, this is a little bit of a non sequitur because we've been pretty football and basketball heavy, but a uh, a baseball conversation point for a moment. The 2020 Baseball Hall of Fame ballot is out. You know, the ballot where they send it to all the crusty old sports writers and they decide who gets into the Hall of Fame and who doesn't? That, that one. Uh, I'm going to read you the names. And then we'll walk back through them on the names that absolutely jump off the page at you who are no question. No question, guys. These are the names in the 2020 Baseball Hall of Fame ballot. Alphabetically. Bobby Abreu, Josh Beckett, Heath Bell, Barry Bonds, Eric Chavez, Roger Clemens, Adam Dunn, Sean Figgins, Rafael Fercal, Jason Giambi, Todd Helton, Raul Abanez, Derek Jeter, Andrew Jones, Jeff Kent, Paul Canerco, Cliff Lee, Carlos Pena, Brad Penny, Andy Pettit, J.J. Putz, Manny Ramirez, Brian Roberts, Scott Rowland, Kurt Schilling, Gary Sheffield, Alfonso Soriano, Sammy Sosa, Jose Valverde, Omar Vizquel, Billy Wagner, and Larry Walker. 
Um, thought number one, and then I want your thoughts as well. I, I'll give you two or three things that jump out at me. Number one, there's one name on this list that stands out above all the others. He will be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He will not be a unanimous first ballot Hall of Famer because of the aforementioned crusty old sports writers, but it'll be pretty darn close. That's Derek Jeter. Number two, maybe the, and this is my opinion, the next three most deserving names will not get in because of performance-enhancing drugs continuing to be associated with their names. Barry Bonds is at the top of that list. Um, Manny Ramirez. And who's the other one that I'm thinking? Oh, well, Roger Clemens. Those three guys should be in the Hall of Fame. Period. That's me. I know not everybody agrees on that. So, a couple of observations that I have from that list of names. Rippy, what about you? What what jumps out at you from that list of names? I mean, obviously, Jeter, uh, Sosa is an interesting case, but you do kind of wonder if that ship has sailed. Um, I mean, really, after that, it's just, I mean, Schilling's up there as well, but Andy Pettit, you can make a case. Well, really, after that, it's just a bunch of, not a bunch of fringe guys, but it's all guys that are varying degrees of, you could maybe make a case or you'd be understandable if they weren't in. Yeah, this feels like a list outside of a handful of names on there for the Hall of Very Good, not necessarily for the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead, Rippy. No, no, I was just agreeing. What about you, hey, Dad? Um, I definitely agree with, you know, Jeter's in. I'm not a steroids are going to taint me kind of guy, so Bonds, Clemens, Manning should be in. I like Pettit to get in. I think Pettit, Pettit was the best pitcher on the best team in baseball for about five or six years. Uh, you know, I I always knew that he was a guy who would deliver in the postseason, so I would I would put him in. the The guy who I think is sort of maybe overlooked here is Larry Walker. Great pro career. Uh, yeah. You know, he hit 383 home runs. Uh, you know, was an MVP. Just a, just a really solid baseball player. I, I would I would not have an issue with Larry Walker being in there. Two that I think probably get in. I don't know if it's on this ballot or not. Um, Gary Sheffield and Billy Wagner. Yeah. Billy Wagner, you're talking about one of the most dominant closers in the game for an extended period of time. And Sheffield's career numbers, I don't have them pulled up in front of me, but really good career numbers. But then I also ask the question, and, and, and Rimpy, you can help me out on this. I mean, it's kind of what we were talking about a second ago with the, okay, yeah, maybe you can make an argument for them, maybe not. I mean, Brian Roberts on the list for a potential Hall of Famer? Jeff Kent? Uh, I think Omar Vizquel probably gets in, whether it's now or later. I mean, Raul Abanez, Hall of Famer? Rafael Fercal, Hall of Famer? Jose Valverde is the name that stands out. I'm like, really? What, he's on this ballot? Really? I'd agree with a couple of those. Jeff Kent did hit 300, what, 70-something home runs and had 2,400 hits, career 290 hitter. Okay. He had a pretty good career. But yeah, he was an MVP but, too, wasn't he? 
That would be before my time. Uh, you made me look it up. Is Josh Beckett a Hall of Famer? Yes, he's he really was in dominant. 2000. Not Beckett. Uh, Kent was the MVP in 2000. I thought so, yeah, yeah. Is Josh Beckett, as a starting pitcher, was he dominant enough for long enough? He's close, but I'd probably lean no. I mean, I think of Bobby Abreu as a really good player. I don't think of him as a Hall of Famer. Um, yeah, Adam Dunn. Maybe that's a Cincinnati question there. Is Adam Dunn a Hall of Famer? No. Is Sean Figgins a Hall of Famer? No, not even close. I always believe in these debates that your gut instinct is correct. If I say a name and your first instinct is no, then it's no. What about um, John what about hit 462 Jambi? home runs and drove in 1,100 over a career? Who did? They're Adam Dunn. I couldn't tell you. I don't even know what team he played for. He played for the Reds, right? Am I right? Yeah, Reds, White Sox. Uh, yeah, I mean, eh, no. It's a no. 462 home runs is a lot of home runs. It is a lot of home runs, but the amount of meaning those home runs had is close to zero. What about Todd Helton? I saw him play football. Um, It's a no, but it... That's one where I pause for a second, but I still come to know. Cliff Lee as a pitcher. I could be talked into Cliff Lee getting in. Because he had a stretch where he was the best pitcher in baseball for a couple of years. How long did Scott Rowland spend as the best third baseman in the game? Five or six years. But his stats aren't incredibly impressive. Alfonso Soriano, just a really good player, right? Yeah, at, at best. Rippy, do you think Omar Vizquel gets in? Probably not. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Streaming online at supertalk.fm. We'll see. That probably doesn't generate a ton of interest, but uh, it's something that came out and uh, it was interesting to look at for a uh, for a couple of minutes. One of the most, maybe the most famous fight in sports history happened on this day. We'll tell you about it. We'll play the audio from it when we come back with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. With 45.9 seconds remaining in the game, Detroit Pistons center Ben Wallace went up for a layup, but he was fouled by the Indiana Pacers small forward Ron Artest. Furious at being fouled when the game had already been decided, Wallace pushed Artest, and a fight broke out on the court between several players. After the fight was broken up, a fan threw a drink from the stands at Ron Artest while he was lying on the scores table. Artest immediately charged after the fan, but ended up attacking the wrong fan. This led to a massive brawl between players and spectators that stretched from the seats down to the court and lasted for not seconds, but several minutes. And this is what it sounded like. 
the Pacers have played a very intelligent game tonight. And Wallace is fouled, and Wallace did. Oh, Wallace right at our chest. This has potential to be serious if they don't get between. Wallace upset. Players trying to hold each other off. Steven Jackson will receive Wallace trying to be peacemaker. Now Jackson yelling. Wallace still going. You need the coaches in there to get him away. Jackson challenging Derek Coleman. Somebody should just get Jackson out of it. as possible. The problem is, if Wallace is ejected, I'm not sure. He'd have to walk past the pace of bench to go. Now Artest has jumped over the scorer's table and is trying to get down to the bench. Artest is in the stands. Oh, this is awful. Fans are getting involved. Steven Jackson's in the fans. Rasheed Wallace going into the stands. The security trying to somehow restore order. Fans and players are going at it, and the players trying to help each other out. This is a disgrace. All the players now, they're jumping in there to try and get the other players out because the fans have come involved. Oh, what a sad scene here at the palace. And now another fight's breaking out in front of the Pistons bench. It's a, it's a fan on the court. This is very, very dangerous. Fans are throwing cups with liquid in them now onto the court. Ron Artest has a look in his eye that's very scary right now. You wonder if the official's going to let this game continue. Now they're throwing bottles out onto the floor. They're trying to get the Pacers to go back to the locker room. What was maybe you could call a hard foul at best has turned into just a, an ugly, ugly scene. November 19th, 2004, the Malice at the Palace. After the game... The NBA suspended nine players for a total of 146 games, leading to $11 million in lost salary. Five players were charged with assault and eventually sentenced to a year of probation and community service. Five fans faced criminal charges and were banned from attending Pistons home games for life. And the fight led to the NBA increasing its security between the players and fans and limited the sale of alcohol at games. The suspension list, Ron Artest got 86 games. Steven Jackson, 30. Jermaine O'Neal, 15. Ben Wallace, who really was the instigator in the whole thing, although it escalated because of Ron Artest, got six games. Anthony Johnson got five. And then you had Derek Coleman, Eldon Campbell, Reggie Miller, and Chauncey Billups all getting one-game suspensions for their involvement in the malice at the palace. Is it the ugliest scene in professional sports history? Yeah, it was funny. We saw the reaction from what Miles Garrett did, which is just, I mean, it's awful, right? But um, Ron Artest went up into the stands and attacked a fan. Hitting a guy with a helmet or attacking a fan? I, I mean... Ooh, imagine if we had first take and Twitter back then. 
Yeah, it, um, it, this is by far the worst the worst thing that happened. I hate to to do that. I hate to say this is the worst because it feels very hot takey, but this this is the worst. Athletes going after fans, it's not going to get a whole. I can't imagine what's worse. Was it justified? No. I mean, you, you you can be furious that a fan throws a drink at you. Right. Point him out. Get him thrown out of the stadium. He'll be banned from the stadium for however long. But going after a fan, no. Never never going to be justified in that. Caleb and Olive Branch says the most famous fight in sports history happened in February at the 1979 Daytona 500. That was the Donnie allison Kale Yarbrough fight. Let's say. That, 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 I'll tell you why I disagree because I don't, I don't know what happened. But I know okay. what happened at the Malice in the Palace. In front of brother Donnie Allison, Bobby Allison grabs the foot of Cale Yarbrough, who had hit Bobby in the nose with his helmet at the Daytona 500. That was February 18, 1979. I'll have to do a little more research and uh, reading on that. I'm sure uh, JT and Scary Gary can give us the full lowdown on the uh, 1979 Donnie Brook at Daytona. By the way, I don't know if it's ever been called that, but it should be. We, we the just Donnie gave it a name. Brook at Daytona. What'd you say, hey, Dad? No, I like you just gave it a name. You're, you just did it. You just yes. tagged that. Good job. Yeah, people, people are just calling it the, the brawl or whatever at Daytona. That's not nearly nearly good enough. Um, Quinn says Tyson bit an ear off. Yeah, but again, yeah, and Josh and Clinton says that. Yeah, jo- Josh and Clinton says the same thing. He says Mike Tyson and the whole ear incident. And, you know. You're on to something there, but that, again, to Haydad's point, was between the participants. It was between the athletes themselves. I don't know that we've ever seen anything quite like that. I don't know also, I know that we haven't ever seen anything where a player is suspended for 86 games and then comes back to go on and have the the career that Ron Artest had post-Malice in the Palace. He played for good grief. Was it another decade after that? Uh, not a decade, but but another five, six, seven years. Yeah, Ron Artest played for a long time in the NBA. Yeah, yeah. And he played at a really high level with the Lakers. Yeah, uh, originally drafted in 1999, played in the NBA until 2017. He played 13 years. I didn't realize that. Wow. Okay. 13 years after the Malice in the Palace. An 18-year NBA career for Ron Artest. Uh, Message on the C Spire text line. That number is 601-879-4395. You can text the show. C Spire text line, C Spire customer inspired. Matt in Gulfport says Ron Artest should have been kicked out of the league forever. Uh, here's one, Cleveland Indians, 1974, the 10-cent beer night brawl. Ugh. But that was the fans brawling with fans, right? That was all in the stands? Yeah, I, I don't remember. I, don't know if, I, don't, I can't imagine the players were drunk. So. MP in Oxford says the White Sox fans on the Kansas City first base coach. It was different but awful. Ethan That's in Guntown points out uh, Khabib versus uh, McGregor. That kind of got wild. Don't people think that was staged? Was that when he threw the the chair or whatever through the bus window? No, this is, I think, after the fight when I think Khabib Oh, right, won, yeah. And then yeah, he yeah. climbed over the side or whatever. 
Nah, this was worse than that. Yeah, way worse. Yeah. David Ripley says, I always thought that the fan needed his tail kicked for pouring out a $7 beer. That's from David Ripley. <laughs> well, didn't Nortes hit the wrong guy? He yes. smoked the wrong guy. Repeatedly. Yes. The, the look on that guy's face when you watch the video of, hey, Artes is coming up here. Oh, my God, he's coming at me is is priceless. Yeah. And there are not many of those NBA dudes that regular fan in the stands wants to fight, To be, if we're being honest. Think think about the guys involved in this, by the way. Ron Artest, Steven Jackson, and Jermaine O'Neal. That's three guys nobody should mess with. They were all on the same team. And Ben Wallace? Yeah. And this, there's another thing to remember this. The Pacers were the best team in basketball when this happened. This may have cost them a, a world championship. Somebody points out that Artest changed his name halfway through his career. Yeah, Metal World, world peace. peace. The irony there is rich. Uh, I don't remember this. It says the boxing match about 10 years ago that caused a brawl in the entire arena. Mr. McMahon being exalted in the hospital by Stone Cold Steve Austin. That was between two guys, though. It wasn't the whole, wasn't the whole fan thing. Apparently the 10-cent beer brawl involved dozens of players and hundreds of fans. And... Uh, more on the 1979 Donnie at Daytona. Richard Petty won the race after Kale and one of the Allisons wrecked each other in the last lap. When I met Richard Petty, I got to tell him how cool it was. That's from Walt on the C Spire text line. More Sports Talk Mississippi with you after this in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Let's go back to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team and join in a conversation with one of our favorites, Bill Bender from the Sporting News. And, uh, Bill, we, we got to talk about this project, or, or, or can it be talked about publicly yet? I, am I messing uh, anything up if we talk about what, what you no, messaged me about? it's going to come out tomorrow morning, and you, we were lucky enough to have you vote on it. Um, I'll, I'll spoil a little bit. We're running the top ten players of all time tomorrow, and we had 54 ballots I sorted out from around the country. It was a fun exercise. I'm not going to spoil the top ten. I can tell you there are a couple SEC names on there, and your listeners can probably guess who they are. But it was it was awesome, and thanks again for helping out with that. Well, it was a lot of fun for me. You you sent me a message by uh, DM on Twitter that said, hey, we're working on this project. Give me your 10 best college football players of all time, any era, no strings attached. It was basically the assignment. And we, we kind of did a little bit of a group think one day on the air. And I, I just kind of – I got to about seven on the list that I felt really good about. And then I started second-guessing those seven – and trying to figure out who the last, you know, two, three, four spots were going to be, and then who had to be moved around, and that is a hard exercise to do. It. It's incredibly subjective. I guess it kind of depends on what you like. How much, as you were put it, you said fifty-four ballots from people across the country that that gave you their ten top ten players of all time. How much variation was there, kind of ballot to ballot? Well, I can give you a couple of stats. I believe 83 different players showed up on ballots, which tells you right there. I mean, 
you know, there are names and, uh, you know, a couple of SEC names that will probably appear on that top ten would be guys like Ben Tebow, Bo Jackson, Herschel Walker. They appeared on a lot of ballots, obviously. Um, but then there was, like, I guess by decade, you know, there was guys from the 80s and the 70s, and, and I grew up in the 90s, so when you see Randy Moss pop up on a lot of ballots, you forget how good of a player he was and played at Marshall. So uh, um, it, was, it was an amazing thing for me because I talked to so many people during the week and to see the differences of opinions and the subtle differences. Like, for example, down in the South, I think a guy like um, – Oh, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess like a George Rogers would re- register a little bit different down in the South than he would maybe in Big Ten country. Yeah. Yeah, certainly uh, makes so. You know, the, the thing that I had the most trouble with on this was what do you do with offensive and defensive linemen? Because when, when you know, you, you do a top ten players of all time list, Obviously, you're going to have running backs on there. You may have a wide receiver or two. You're going to have a few quarterbacks on there. But when you start trying to kind of quantify offensive linemen, I think Orlando Pace is the only offensive lineman I ended up putting on there. But when we had the discussion about it on the air, there was a lot of conversation about John Hanna at Alabama, who is, again, arguably one of the best offensive linemen to ever play the game. But I don't know exactly how you quantify that the way you quantify somebody like uh, a Marcus Allen, for example. Oh, for sure. There's a couple things about here. Again, I don't want to give away too much, but I'll get a walk sure. you guys through a couple of those. But the offensive line, you're spot on. I mean, if we're being honest, probably the most dominant player I've ever seen was probably Orlando Pace, um, just because he was that offensive lineman. And I know a lot of Alabama fans feel the same way about John Hammond. What about defensive players? I mean, what's the difference between Reggie White and Derek Thomas? And, you know, but, but one thing that I will say showed up. If you just think about a football player, an all-around football player, dating all the way back to Jim Thorpe, a couple of those guys are on the list. The Jim Thorpe types, the, you know, I guess there are a couple like that in the sport today, but I mean, obviously one that stands out, um, a guy like Deion Sanders, a guy like Charles Woodson, those guys stood out because of their all-around athletic ability. I mean, in my opinion, my humble opinion, I think Charles Woodson, you could make a case. I didn't vote him number one, but you could make a case he's the greatest football player of all time between NFL and college. Yeah, and and you easily could make a list of ten additional players that you know could be or should be in that top ten uh, that that aren't there. When, when you think about a guy like oh, I don't know, an Ed Reed at Miami who was so incredibly sure. dominant. Well, we had Richard. We had twenty three players received 25 or more votes. So the kind of the way I broke it out in the article tomorrow, we do have a top 10, and then we had 13 players who I considered honorable mention because once you get to that 25 vote mark, and again, it's running back dominated. Um, I'll say that because that is the position that dominated the sport for most of its 150-year history. But um, yeah. it is so much fun. I, I can't wait for, for people to read it tomorrow and see our list and, and it's a part of that 150 celebration. And like I said, we appreciate your help. Bill Bender on Twitter is at BillBender9292. He will uh, certainly tweet out a link. You can also follow Sporting News on Twitter at Sporting News and uh, and read that as well. Um, I'm trying to decide where we start here. It feels like the SEC championship game has been decided. 
LSU, all they've got to do is beat Arkansas this week. They lock it up. Georgia has already locked its side up. How good of a game could that be in Atlanta in about three weeks? Oh, it's going to be awesome. I mean, because it's going to at least determine one spot, maybe two. Um, and I think the way that, like you said, unless LSU flips up to a 44-point, as a 44-point underdog, or a favorite this week, which I don't see happening, um, that we'll get that matchup. I think it, it sets up. The SEC championship game has traditionally been the best one. This year is no exception with those two. Although, I think that Oregon-Utah game could be a lot of fun in the Pac-12 championship. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. Is the winner of that game going to get into the playoffs, assuming it's a one-loss team? Well, I mean, I guess the drama for me tonight, and the rankings are coming out here in about an hour, would be, are they going to sandwich Alabama at five? Are they going to put them between Oklahoma and Oregon? Oregon at five, Oklahoma at seven. Uh, I don't think Alabama can get in. I know there's a case for it, and I guess that they can get in. I guess. But I think at the end of the day, the last argument may turn into Oregon and Oklahoma. And Oklahoma is, doesn't quite have the strength of schedule, but they have the offense. And Oregon, you know, the Pac-12 isn't that strong. So who do you like better, Richard? Let's say that was the last one. They're both 12-1. They're sitting there. Which conference do they leave out in the cold? You know, I, I know they're not supposed to be, you know, doing a favor. But it feels like because the Pac-12 has been left out for the last, oh, is it the last three years, that maybe the Pac-12 gets the nod. If Oregon, if Oregon's only loss is in Week One to an Auburn team that is in the top twenty-five, and you look at what they've done the rest of the way and how at times they've been really dominant, I tend to think that Oregon gets the nod. No, yeah, I mean, that's what I was kind of getting at, that I thought it, it would be Oregon. But I think, I'm just, just hear me out for a second, Richard. I think Oklahoma can make a heck of an argument out of it for a couple reasons. One, they, they could win the Big 12. They could beat Oklahoma State and Bedlam, beat whoever they put beat in the Big 12 championship. Two, the Jalen Hurts factor. And here's, the, here's kind of what I see the options being for Hurts in Oklahoma is, one, you either put him in the playoffs as this unbelievable career arc that he had, and he goes back to the playoff, or two, and he's equally enticing and maybe nauseating for some Alabama fans. You know what I'm going to say next? You throw him down in the Sugar Bowl and let him and uh, him play Alabama in his final college game. Both of those sound like big time ratings to me. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, the the only disappointing thing, and obviously there's nothing you can do about this, is the fact that Tua is not part of that matchup either way. Um, well, and, and let me say this about Tua real quick. I, I Faulting Nick Saban for that injury is ridiculous to me. If you want to say he shouldn't have played in the game to begin with, fine. I'll give you that one. But once he's out there playing and he suffers a freak injury, and then, you know, I've seen varsity blues a time or two, and, and why are we comparing him to Coach Kilmer? Nick Saban didn't do anything wrong. I think that's a ridiculous take by some people. Does LSU stay number one tonight? I think so. I think they've got, I know, a little bit of a leaky run defense against Ole Miss, but, you know, the game got a little out of control on both sides. But I still think they're number one. I think Ohio State, though, can make it interesting. And, uh, you know, if they beat Penn State, 
handily this weekend. They get Chase Young back. They beat Michigan, which suddenly looks like Michigan's supposed to look. Um, I haven't been asked about Harbaugh in about a month, so I know he's winning some games if that's the case. Well, yeah, but they hadn't played anybody in a month. Well, I mean, they beat two of their rivals, and that was one of the leading criticisms that they, they get criticized for not beating Notre Dame and Michigan State. And it's, you know, they, they win both of those games. Obviously, though, their season referendum comes down to the big one at the end of the year. And I don't know what yeah. the spread is. I haven't looked. I, I'm guessing it'll be around 10. Let me ask you this. we got like 20 seconds left. Could LSU stay number one this week, fall to number two next week, and then get back to number one in the final ranking going into the playoffs? Maybe. Yeah, I, I don't uh, – that's a tough one. You're asking good questions. I'm going to say if they lose one, they probably fall to two or three and end up playing Clemson in the first round. And I don't think you want to do that because Clemson's pretty undervalued. You're right. Bill, it's the best. We always run out of time too soon. Thanks for your time. You're the, no, you're the best. Thanks so much. Check out that list tomorrow. I'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Thanks. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Keep those texts coming to the ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. I love this one. Sure wish they'd go to an 18 playoff. It would only require one more game in December. I agree. And while the debate is fun of who should get in and who shouldn't get in, it would still be fun if we were talking about which five teams were going to win conference championships. Hey, Dad, think think about how much fun that would be right now. The, just using this season as an example. Yeah. No drama in the ACC, so we know Clemson's getting in. But in the SEC, Georgia against LSU? Well, you think the SEC championship game matters now. Winner goes to the playoff, period. Big 12 championship game, Oklahoma against... Eh, who's they, who are they going to play in the – I don't know who it will be. I don't know who the second-place team in the Big 12 is right now off the top of my head. Baylor. That's Baylor. Okay. Oh, so a rematch of that game from last week if things play out the way they are right now? The Big 10? Yeah, Ohio State would be the presumptive favorite. But the winner of the Big 10 championship game, and then you knew the winner of Oregon-Utah was getting in? And then one group of five teams getting in. And so we'd be really closely watching the results. What, right now the highest-ranked group of five team is, is it still Cincinnati? It's, um, ba -ba 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 -ba. yeah, Cincinnati at 17. So you've got Cincinnati and Memphis, which means the AAC championship game could mean a heck of a lot. All right, now somebody throw out the, well, but you diminish the importance of the regular season. Throw that argument out to me right now. Well, but you They're diminish only... the regular season. There are only two at large spots. <laughs> so now all of a sudden these other games don't matter? Of course they matter. You only have two at large spots. Let, let, let's play out the next few weeks. And I know the rankings don't matter necessarily on a week-to-week -week basis, but it's kind of what we were talking about with Bill a second ago. Let's just assume that tonight the top four stays the same. I don't think that's a stretch. LSU 1, Ohio State 2, Clemson 3, 
Georgia four. I guess potentially you could see Ohio State and LSU flip flop, but the really the scores from last weekend I don't think justify that. I mean, Ohio State beat Rutgers fifty six twenty one, LSU beats Ole Miss fifty eight thirty seven. Both big old lopsided thirty plus point wins. Or well, one's a thirty five point win and one's a twenty one point win. Whatever. So let's just say it stays the same. But then next week, LSU will be coming off a win against Arkansas. Ohio State, if we're assuming a win, is coming off a win against Penn State. Those two flopping? Are are, are you taking Ohio State to one and dropping LSU to two at that point? I I, I think I would. Yeah. Does it really matter? Does it really matter? I don't think it really no, matters. No, no, no. I, I, I just, I, I just kind of wanted to play this out over three weeks. Oh, it yeah, doesn't yeah. really matter because, uh, you know, ultimately – okay, so stick with me. So so let's say those two flip, and then Clemson stays at three because they're not going to play anybody, and Georgia stays at four. And then the following week, in the final week of the regular season, Ohio State beats Michigan, LSU beats A&M, Clemson beats South Carolina, Georgia beats Georgia Tech. So everything stays the same. And then the week after that, that's when it gets interesting. That's going to your final rankings. So you go LSU over Georgia in the SEC championship game. Ohio State over whomever in the Big Ten championship game. Clemson over whoever they're going to beat in the ACC championship game. And then we got to figure out who number four is because Georgia lost. So let's say Oregon jumps up to number four with a win over Utah in the Pac-12. Now, based on LSU beating Georgia and Ohio State beating whomever, do you take LSU back to number one? I was, I was that, told there'd be no math. Yeah. See, see <laughs> I'm going so, crazy. So if you, if you kind of play it out with chalk over the next three weeks – Next week, uh, th- this week it stays the same. Next week, LSU and Ohio State flip-flop. They stay the same in the final week of the regular season, and then after the conference championship games, based on those final results, LSU goes back to one. Ohio State falls to two. Clemson stays at three. And Oregon jumps up to number four. And now your college football playoff is LSU against Oregon and Ohio State against Clemson. That's LSU in New Orleans? I believe that's right now. Fiesta Bowl for the other one? No, no, it's Atlanta. LSU would go to Atlanta and then the National Championship games in New Orleans. Oh, how good is that going to be? Borky, hey, Dan, and Rippy will carry you the rest of the way this afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Five o'clock hour off and running. Sports Talk Mississippi, the dream team with you for the rest of the day. Richard Cross is off calling basketball for television tonight. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey with you. And... We'll start with a look at the games this weekend. We do it every Tuesday. I call it Lines Tuesday. And usually we just give you an outlook of the slate upcoming this weekend, plus generally what the odds makers think about the games. But that would be really boring today. Because this slate of games this weekend, it's not just here in Mississippi where Ole Miss is off, 
Mississippi State plays Abilene Christian, the SEC should be embarrassed of itself for this lineup of games they're giving us the second-to-last weekend of the season. The SEC this weekend plays Samford, not Stanford, the Samford Bulldogs from Birmingham, Western Carolina, Tennessee Martin, East Tennessee State, Abilene Christian, and Arkansas. All on the slate for SEC teams this weekend. Is Arkansas the biggest spread? Arkansas is not the biggest spread. So uh, Western Carolina is a 67-point underdog in Tuscaloosa. Sanford is 45-and-a-half. But according to the odds makers, Abilene Christian has a better chance at beating Mississippi State than Arkansas does at beating LSU. Arkansas is a 43-and-a-half-point dog. Abilene Christian, 37 in Starfall. These are brutal. They should do something about this, right? I mean, we talk about this a good bit, but now that the weekend is actually here, I grew up on FCS football. I've said it before. I grew up going to Furman games with my dad. It was five bucks. It's what we would go do. And at the time, they were going to the playoffs every year. They were they went to one national championship but ended up losing, I believe, to Appalachian State in that game as well. But I grew up on FCS football, so I understand how important these games are to those kind of programs. But this should not be a thing the second to last weekend of the year. I don't know how you fix it. My idea is it's twofold. You make your conference teams be done with non-conference games by a certain date. And we can call it the third Saturday in October. Why not? Just have them all done. I think that's already taken. Uh, <laughs> by the third week of October, or even earlier, mandate that all of your non-conference games are done by then. And then eliminate the FCS game altogether and play that in the spring. Allow your conference teams to have a spring scrimmage, just like baseball is doing. I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, the baseball teams in this state have been playing games against other opponents this fall. Not many of them, but they've done it. Allow that to happen with football, too. Let Western Carolina, the Catamounts, go to Tuscaloosa in March or early April. You'll still get a TV audience. They'll still put 100,000 people in the stands. You can give them money for playing in that game and maintain the integrity of your scheduling while doing so. Because this is just a joke. I don't have a problem with the FCS game in the middle of the season. I just don't. Or or in the season, I guess I should say. But, I mean, this this is tough. I mean, I I get it. And a lot of these, you know, they schedule it strategically because, and I like you know, for Mississippi State, for years they've been playing Arkansas between Alabama and Ole Miss. I mean, that's that's a tough, you know, and it's not now with Arkansas not any better than some of these FCS teams. But, you know, that, that's tough sometimes. And, you know, you want to have Alabama, I'm not saying they're a rival or anything, but that's usually your most physical football game of the year. And then you have the Egg Bowl. And if you can't get the bye week like Ole Miss has, this is probably the second best option. So I, 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 feel, I feel sort of conflicted, but at the same time, as a, if I were a college football fan this weekend, woof. Yeah, perfect honeydew list weekend. Mike in Oxford asked what Western Carolina is getting. I thought he was talking about money, so I looked that up quickly. They're getting $525,000 for the game, which um, without looking it up, I can promise you that gets them probably their entire athletic budget 
that covers all of their expenses, I'd be willing to bet. A small operation in a place called Cullowee, North Carolina, this game pays for a lot, almost everything. But he was asking about the line. It's 67, at least on the, the book that I looked at this morning. I don't know where that city is, but it's no Boone. Yeah, Cullowee is not Boone. They used to play each other. Uh, App State was in the Southern Conference, and they played Western Carolina and and Furman and Georgia Southern was in that same conference. App State and Georgia Southern used to play each other at the FCS level every year. Yeah. Well, now you've learned something. Yeah, there you go. That's uh, that's your thing today. Rippy, do you have any thoughts on this? I mean, it sucks from a viewing standpoint, but I imagine... This late in the year, particularly with teams in contention, the coaches enjoy this. I mean, Nick Saban's about to play a one and six team, a one and six. Uh, F- are they FCS? Yeah, they're FCS. They're yeah, and they're they're bad. So, I mean, I uh, yeah. I mean, does something get changed? I don't know. I mean, their bottom line isn't changing much, so I think no, because isn't that what where most change gets driven? Right, and that's that's pretty the much. Thing. It, no, nobody's losing any money here. So, I mean, look at State. But, they're playing. They're playing a six thirty game against an FCS team. You know, the crowd's already super apathetic. Uh, it's going to be cold, and the game is on the SEC alternate. Not not on the SEC network. On the alternate. Well, shouldn't there be a way to stagger these to where they don't all end up on one week, even if you want to play them late in the year? Because Ole Miss played New Mexico State. What two? I guess two weeks ago. Like, couldn't you have these scattered throughout the month of October, and I guess maybe a, you know November as well? But like, not not all in one weekend would seem like the that, right way to go about sort of it. What, if you are gonna gonna play a late one, Borky's trying to get at. But I don't know how you tell teams to to do that. I mean, it, the schedules just sort of are what they are. Like, I mean, I, I guess you can make a mandate, but I don't know. Mike in Oxford and Chris in Oxford both uh, are saying that you just have to take the points on principle. I mean, do you do you think Nick Saban's really going to win a game sixty-seven or sixty-eight to nothing? And the thing is, I've actually watched like a quarter and a half of a Western Carolina game this year. I, I mean, you could hand the football off to your walk-on fullback and still probably score sixty-eight points in that game. I mean, other than doing a running clock for the last three quarters of the game, I don't know how Alabama does not get to that number. Sixty-seven. Uh, themselves scoring 67 points. It's just, it'll be, it's like the, there will be no resistance unless you literally tell your players, if you have an open seam, just slide. Western Carolina will offer zero resistance to scoring, no matter who you put in the game or what you call. Remember what happened last year, though? With the Citadel. The Citadel yeah. was up in the third quarter. And then they lost by what, 50? Yeah, I mean, I'm not in the Citadel. I think they were a playoff team a, last year in the FCS. We, yeah, and at that time they played Alabama closer than pretty much. Well, not pretty much. They played Alabama closer than anyone had to that point. I'm not. I don't anticipate that happening. They again, only lost by like, 33, but they well, scored 17, which they is were more up than 17, 14 in the third quarter. Were they not? 17 is more than Ole Miss, LSU, and Mississippi State scored on Alabama and Missouri combined. They should. Uh, they were the first touchdown scored on Alabama in, in quite some time or something like that. Right, right, because they, they had shut out LSU and State back-to-back weeks. Yeah, that's exactly right. 
from the 662 says the last game for most teams is usually usually a big rivalry so I would assume they schedule a gimme game in anticipation yeah that's what they do uh, that's exactly why this is in this moment but I don't get why people complain about week zero but not this serious that that's a really good point because week zero was ripped on about not being good football well Pat 40 would you rather have Miami Florida play in a kind of sloppy game or uh, who's Florida got this weekend Oh, they're just off. How about off, yeah. um, Auburn playing Samford? But what would you rather watch? Don't sleep on the Bulldogs, man. Uh, the, the, I'm trying. I'm trying to come up with a, a system to whereby these games aren't happening at all in the same week. I, I don't know if I can do it though. But it's just find a date and, and force non-conference games to be played before then. Right. I think but that's then, the only way. Like I said, you know. The power brokers of this conference. Alabama does not want to play anybody that they have to worry about before they play Auburn. Georgia and Georgia, they don't want to play those, you know, Florida, Florida State, they don't want to play those games like that. So, in all likelihood, this is a change that we, we would like, but it's probably never going to happen. Does Nick Saban talk but this out is of a both fairly side? recent ahead. development, right? Um, I mean, this hasn't maybe, always maybe. been this way to where it's the November oh, no, in no. the same week. No, no. I mean, state, state played, uh, it, throughout the '80s, their last four games were Auburn, Alabama, LSU, Ole Miss every year. Look, it's looking back through through time here, trying to find as where does it end? And for Alabama's been doing it for for since since 2008. They have played a FCS team. Huh, since Nick Saban took over, the same guy yeah. that screams about scheduling. And they had a and- bye week in '08. They played State on the 15th bye week, and then they played Auburn on the 29th. Huh. It's almost like he does things to advance himself, and he's really they, they, not. They played the, an FBS team on 2007, and they lost to the Louisiana Monroe before they played Auburn. <laughs> Saban saw the results. He's out. Change it up. That's smart coaching. There are some decent games this weekend. We'll look at those as well as give our own top ten, or at least what it should be tonight. That's coming up at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. And then there were two. Rippy has slipped out a... Uh, Last second schedule change has Ole Miss's football media availability pushed up, so look for the video and stuff of that. At supertalk.fm, Haydad will also slip out here in a little bit to do the same thing for Mississippi State, and then Ole Miss has hoops tonight. So all of that coverage will be available for you on the website, supertalk.fm. In-depth stuff, free for you, by the way, on our website, supertalk.fm. Continuing on this uh, scheduling issue, the SEC's just got an embarrassing slate of games this weekend. Larry says, make the next-to-last game be mandatory to play one of your two Eastern or Western division opponents. So your cross-division opponent. He wants to see those on the second-to-last game of the season. Keith Invaden says he doesn't mind at all because Mississippi State might win on Saturday. Uh, Keith, (laughs) (laughs) I think you could take the word uh, might out of there. This is an interesting question from the 662. Is there any difference between a weak opponent like a Western Carolina and having an open date? Well, I mean, they're, they're, they're obviously the only real difference is the whole conference can't take an open date. You can't have a whole 14 teams off for one week. They're, they're, they're just, there's, there's too much money tied up in TV. So unless you're just going to do, you know, Three games. Is that an idea? 
you know, and they just have to alternate it, I guess, you know, through the years. So you have six teams playing, but you have one for your 11 a.m. slot, one for your 2.30 slot, and one for your, your 6 o'clock slot. And that's all you got. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how that works. I mean, because there's just, you know, the SEC network is there and blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, this could be a day where, all right, let's, 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 let's really spitball here. Could this be a, a Saturday where you, you play three football games? ESPN has the 11 a.m. game. CBS gets the 2.30 game. ESPN gets the uh, 6 o'clock game. And you make this, try to find a way to make this a marquee college basketball day for the SEC network? That'd be a really good idea. And on that note, I I don't know about the rest of the schedule, but like, for example, Ole Miss is playing Memphis. That is an undefeated SEC team on the road at Memphis, which is a national brand that has been in the headlines for, you know, bad reasons, but still a ranked Memphis team. You have to watch that like on your computer. Can't get it on TV. Right, right, right. So you could come up with, you know, three or four games, not trying to make them not featuring the football team. So let's say, you know, just just for the sake of argument, I'm, I'm just spitballing here again. You know, you got Missouri, Missouri-Tennessee is your 11 a.m. game. Georgia-Texas A&M is your 2.30 game. Is there another conference game that I'm missing? Or is Arkansas-LSU. Arkansas-LSU is your 6 o'clock game. So those six teams aren't in this basketball thing. And then you try to find, you know, obviously Kentucky. Can you get them to play, you know, a top 10 team on that day? Probably so. You can probably make that happen. And then, you know, you just figure it out. And then you've got some, some, uh, some SEC network programming. And then, you know, the rest of the schools, you know, hey, they're not playing football today, so they probably go to the basketball games or at least watch the basketball games. And throw these crap games on the alternate channel and be done with it. Right. Something like that. Because nobody's watching it anyway. Uh, Chris in Oxford said Auburn's been playing Samford forever. And, yeah, again, those games are good for programs like Samford. They need them. Uh, I think they should just happen earlier in the season. That's all. I I completely understand why they're being scheduled. I don't like where they are scheduled, if that that makes sense. And Tim in Enterprise gives us a good jumping-off point. He says, watch the other conferences this week for some good games. Here are a few of those. This... Uh, starting with one that was going to be the marquee game until Penn State lost to Minnesota, they are now an 18-point underdog in Columbus at Ohio State. A top-10 Penn State team. I don't know they would have been a much smaller underdog, totally honest, had they won that game. Maybe, maybe a, a, Ohio State's just murdering people. They're, they're clearly the best team in the Big Ten. Maybe they're, they're clearly one of the top two, three teams in the country. Penn State is just a, a good football team. James Franklin I mean, did make a joke today about how Chase Young magically gets eligible right before they play Penn State. Yeah. Well, you know, with what 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 did you expect? <laughs> he shouldn't have been suspended in the first place. Let's probably let's, let's look not. at it like that. So Minnesota, by the way, the aforementioned Golden Gophers are at a bad Northwestern this weekend, but that's a Top 15 team on the road. Texas and Baylor are suddenly interesting, even though the Longhorns, uh, to the surprise of nobody, they're not back yet. It's a four-loss Texas team. But Baylor still has a shot to kind of get back into this thing. I mean, they have to finish the season undefeated and then go beat Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game, and that probably still won't be enough. But there's an outside shot at it. Oklahoma lost to Texas but came back and got redemption in the Big 12 championship game. So it could happen. 
It could happen. Texas is a five and a half point uh, underdog. About to say, if you said favorite there, I was about to run to Philadelphia. (laughs) Uh, Michigan, interesting game at Indiana. Just an eight and a half point favorite. Indiana under uh, a former Ole Miss linebacker coach, Tom Allen, is seven and three on the season. Upset alert. There's going to be some public money on Indiana this week, especially with Ohio State coming up for. for Michigan in two weeks, and Indiana plays pretty good defense, and Michigan is still winning games, not throwing the football or being explosive or anything on offense. That's a funky game in, uh, where is it? Bloomington? Yeah, Bloomington. Bloomington, Indiana. Oregon, a team that has an outside shot at, no, not an outside shot at all. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Oregon, still very much in the mix for the college football playoff, goes to Arizona State a two-touchdown favorite in Tempe. Uh, first of all, I'm glad they're considering Arizona State, but that's a sneaky game. Herm Edwards could, could sneak up on you. you got to be careful. TCU is at Oklahoma. Oklahoma, again, needs to finish undefeated if they want to get back in the college football playoff. They are almost a three-touchdown favorite at home to the Horn Frogs. Yeah. Eh. Yeah, that's a stretch to be interested TCU in. TCU is a, such an interesting team. They, they five years ago they were the best team in college football when they beat Ole Miss in the uh, the Peach Bowl. I honestly think they might have beaten Ohio State that. And now they're not. They're not. They're not great anymore. And finally, Utah, the other uh, Pac-12 team that has a legit shot at making the playoff, is a twenty-three point favorite at Arizona. Have to win to make a bowl game if you are Kevin Sumlin in Arizona. They're four and six right now. A few weeks ago, some people on this show were like, "Oh yeah, Kevin Sumlin might still be it in in, in uh, Tucson when State gets there in like 2024." No, oh. If you had to make a top ten, I mean, it's going to get released tonight. We'll talk about it tomorrow. What would yours be? Oh God, top ten is sort of useless. Um, well, so outside I mean, my- of. There's really seven. Yeah. There's seven that are still in it. Eight with Oklahoma. I'm going to eye test this for you. I'm going to eye test it. All right? My top four is LSU, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama. I think Alabama is better than Georgia. Now, I think that... Hold on. I I forgot the two is hurt. Never mind. Going off on that. Going back to Georgia, it's four. Then probably Oregon is five. Alabama is still six. They're still good enough to beat almost everybody else beneath them. Oklahoma, probably seven, and then Minnesota, Penn State, Utah. How much should Tua's injury factor in? Because it has to. It, it has it's to, not right? supposed to, but it has to. It's one of those things. It shouldn't, it shouldn't, if they win, they win these next couple of games, it, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't factor in at all, but it's going to. People are just going to say, well, they, they cannot, they couldn't beat LSU with Tua. We're going to seed them fourth to play LSU again. Without Tua, no, that's not going to happen. Alabama is not going to. You can old takes expose me if you want. Alabama is not going to the college football playoff. I'm with you because unless Oregon or Utah slips up and lose to somebody they shouldn't, I don't think a an Alabama non-conference champion without Tua gets put in the playoff ahead of a one-loss well, Pac-12 champion. I already one-loss Big 12 champion. Right. So I just, I, just, I just don't see it happening. That's why we have a committee, right? Is to make yeah. human decisions. Exactly. You, and, you nailed it. 
and Alabama's simply not it Mac Jones may be fine, but it maybe he scored three points against Mississippi State last week. Uh don't 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 put that on Mac Jones. Put that on on Nick Saban just saying we we just want to get the hell out of Dodge. <laughs> oh man. This is probably gonna be mean, but whatever. I understand why people are are very heartfelt with Tua. He's a great college football player. Seemingly a really, really, really good kid, too. Mm-hmm. But he didn't die. There's been some of that. Some of these tributes are acting well, like, I mean, he's gonna he's dead. You, you, you had some of that a few years back in this state with Laquan, Laquan Treadwell. When he got hurt, there was a lot of, everybody pray for Like he, he broke his leg, guys. He'll be fine. He's, he's not going to die. You know, and same thing with Tua. Yeah, Feinbaum went on a, a long rant about it. Like, dude, he, he, he broke his hip. Old people do it all the time. It'll be, they'll be okay. And he's apparently had a great surgery and will make a full recovery. Yeah, he'll be fine. Lift up your prayers for him. That's awesome. But these tribute things that people are doing. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the end of the Oscars. Yeah. It's like, where's who we lost? To attack of a hole. What? We'll be right back at Sports Talk Mississippi. Yeah! I don't know why that uh, Whitesnake song is uh, reminding me of this, but... Uh, Motley Crue's coming to back. to hear this segue. segue. Okay, never mind. I yeah. thought there was going to be like a really good sports segue <laughs> out of Still of the Night by Whitesnake. Yes, they're doing a stadium tour with... Uh, Def Leppard uh, and Poison. Def Leppard and Poison. Okay, I will go. I'm not a huge live music guy, but I will go to that. Dude, I, I saw Def Leppard. It was years ago, but they I still had it, man. Yeah, I saw them in Tupelo. Where would they come? Would it be Memphis or New Orleans? I... If it's a stadium tour, New Orleans. Maybe Atlanta. They signed some kind of no touring agreement five years ago, back in 2014, to where none of them would ever tour again unless it was with the entire band, and mm-hmm. uh, they're, they're getting back together. And I'm not kidding. This is what's crazy about society today, is they credit a Netflix, not documentary, more of just like a movie about their life. The Dirt. It's called The Dirt. Yeah. And it's a very, it's based on a book that one of them wrote. And it's a very glorified uh, 30,000 foot view of their music career. And they credit that for why their popularity has skyrocketed in the last year and why there's a demand for them to go back on tour again because of yeah. a Netflix movie. That movie was good, though. Have you seen it? It's really good. Yeah. Made you yeah, want to go played, like uh... destroy stuff in the backyard. The guy who played Mick Mars was uh, uh, Ramsey Bolton. Yes, he was. They look like 70-year-old women now, but hey, you know they still rock, which is all that matters. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Michael Borky, Brian Haydad with you. This is not a a political thing. I just find, I think these numbers are fascinating. I think you might find them fascinating as well. This comes from Clay Travis. Last week, on Sunday Night Football, the Vikings and the Cowboys played. 23 million people watched that game. So far, there's been some impeachment hearings and stuff going on in Washington. Across all of the networks that do news, combined, the highest watched anything was 13 million. So Americans would rather watch a random regular season football game on a Sunday night than, than anything like that that's going on in Washington. I don't know what that I mean, means to believable. you. I just find that fascinating. That's believable. Nobody, 
politics is just I think it's, it's just it's just become such a thing where it's like it's just every day there's something. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. Yeah, when football is football. Speaking of football, Vanderbilt announced earlier today, and some people were surprised by this, that uh, Derek Mason will return for next season. And this wasn't a vote of confidence thing that uh, we believe in Derek Mason and uh, we will evaluate him in the offseason like we do every year, like South Carolina did. This was a straight-up Derek Mason will coach at Vanderbilt in 2020. This is going to happen. He is coming back. Here's the statement from the athletic director today, Malcolm Turner. And I think this is actually refreshingly honest. And when you put it this way, it might actually end up being a good decision for Vanderbilt. Here's what he said. He said, quote, look, this has been a disappointing year without question. But we are going to focus on root causes. We have 50 years of routine kick-the-can coaching changes without accompanying the fundamental underlying change. And out of respect for those who truly support Vanderbilt football and with the focus on building a successful and sustainable football program, this is a cycle we need to break. He continued to say, I understand that people want a quick and easy fix, and in difficult years it's typical to focus on the usual suspect with a coaching change, but in my view, we can't recycle the same problem without addressing the core issues. I think that's offensive to a fan base that truly cares, end quote. I think that's, a, I mean, that's refreshingly honest because this is Vanderbilt basically saying our job sucks. It's a consensus to all of you listening that Vanderbilt football is by far the worst job in the SEC. They have academic requirements that nobody else has. They haven't really touched their stadium since 1981. Their facilities lack extremely compared to everybody else. And their fan support, because of the type of university that it is, is quite small. It's the worst job in the SEC, not even a close second. To hear the athletic director say, our job sucks, and until we fix that, the next football coach is going to lose here too. And if you look at Vanderbilt historically, even though they're really bad this year, Derek Mason is above Vanderbilt traditionally. Believe it or not. But he is. I find that fascinating that they straight up say our job is bad and we can go hire a new coach, but he's going to come here and lose too. Until we fix the job, nobody's winning here. Really interesting. How are they going to fix the job is the question. Part of it is you can't. Yeah, that's 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 the thing. Unless they want to go the uh can they go the baseball route? Can they find a way to start funding extra scholarships? Put 150 kids on there. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, what he's saying is right, but there's no there's no answer to the question. What they have to do is lessen the entry requirements for athletes, which they won't do, I don't think. And then facilities, because, because then because then you sort of take away one of the one of the things that makes Vanderbilt attractive. Is I got I mean, I guess at the, the end of the day, still it's worth no, it. Yeah, people aren't people aren't going to look too deep into that, you know. If, they, if you have a degree from Vanderbilt, they're just going, "Oh, he graduated from Vanderbilt." I don't think. Wait, were you on scholarship? Were you an athlete? I don't think anybody might have asked that, but still, it just seems unlikely. Donald in Oxford says, "Did you read the comments from Van, the Vanderbilt athletic director's tweet? Good luck with those empty seats. Well, they're already empty. Yeah, what? We're definitely not coming now. What? Nobody's and, going to those games anyway. And there's not a hire that they could have made." 
that would have really changed that. And people pointed to James Franklin. And that's a good point. But he did leave. And he is a top five at worst coach in the country right now. I've always said that Vanderbilt or that Franklin might be the best coach in college football simply because when he left Vanderbilt, it was like he was never there. They immediately went back to mediocrity. And his ceiling was for law. I mean, his best seasons at Vanderbilt, he had two of them where they won 18 games. They lost four games in both of those seasons. And that was when the SEC East was very, very down. That's the ceiling at Vanderbilt with uh, who Haydad thinks. And it's, I mean, you can argue it, it, it'd be difficult. One of, if not the best coach in the country with what he's done. And then, you know, Mason, when they brought him in, I mean, now don't forget that they went after Malzahn. I think Malzahn may have actually verbally agreed to take the job and then backed out when, when Franklin left. But Mason was a, a guy that everybody had on their short list of this guy will be a great head coach somewhere. Now, Vanderbilt, it's just, it's how Franklin did it, it, it is beyond me. I don't know how Franklin won those games at Vanderbilt. The he's way he just did. that good. Yeah, I mean that, that's the only explanation, and 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 you know an elite coach would be able to win like that, win seven, eight games a year. Derek Mason's not an elite coach; he's a good coach. I think he's a defensive coordinator. He's a fantastic guy, but he's just you know if, if your ceiling is good coach at Vanderbilt, your ceiling is probably five wins a year. We get a text from the six six two that asks, "How is Duke having success?" Well, first of all, David Cutcliffe's a very good coach. They also don't have to play in the SEC. They did really just renovate the heck out of their football stadium. It looks great. Used to be a dump. It looks really nice. Now they did a whole new press box thing, and uh, so they've committed to facilities. But if you look at what David Cutcliffe has done at Duke, there's a ceiling there as well. I mean, he's been there for a very long time. Here are their their loss totals of David Cutcliffe's time at Duke. 8-7, 9-9, 7-4 in 2013 when they went to the Chick-fil-A Bowl. Four, five, eight, six, five, six, and they're going to lose a couple more games this year. Yeah, he's having more success at Duke than ever, and they're they're still losing games at that kind of clip. Vanderbilt Spurrier won an ACC title there. And that that was in 1988. That's the last time they won it. So I mean, that's just what Duke is. You know, getting to a bowl game that's played a week before Christmas is about as good as Duke can hope for. And same thing with Vanderbilt. I, I think. This this is the discussion, and I think we've I know that I've talked about it on my podcast, and maybe we've talked about it here. College football fans, they, they, there just needs to be an understanding that depending on what team you cheer for, your ceiling might not be national champions, and you just have to accept that. If you're a Mississippi State and Ole Miss fan, your ceiling is not national champions. Your ceiling is a New Year's Six Bowl. You know, you're not you're just not winning a national title in in, in this day and age. If you're a Vanderbilt fan. Be, going to a bowl game two out of every three years is probably your ceiling. Same with Duke. Same with Northwestern. Although Northwestern's been a little bit better, but they're terrible this year. You know, it's just there are just different ceilings. Just because everybody they, they say everybody can get, can get to the college playoff football playoff, it doesn't mean that it's true. Yeah. And until Vanderbilt fixes things, they they have a facility master plan that they're releasing here soon. Which is a nice step in the right direction. But until they fix it, that's what it's that's what it's ultimately going to be. It's a unique place. Maybe yeah. they, I'm sure they could do better. But well, the, yeah, they could, but they're not gonna. So Derek Mason back at Vanderbilt in twenty twenty. All right, man. Talk to you tomorrow. Hey dad's gonna 
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.